Okay, so this morning we are continuing our series on making disciples. Uh, we spent the month of July thinking about be disciples uh, this August. Uh, we're really unpacking what it means uh, to make uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. Last week we spent time looking at loving the lost. This week we're thinking about the power to witness. How God empowers us, he gives us the ability to witness, to share with those who don't know Jesus. Uh, we understand witness as sharing the love of Jesus to those who don't have the love of Jesus in their life. And we witness not on our own strength or our own power or our own gifting, but we witness in God's strength. We witness in God's power and we witness in the gifting that God gives uh, to each one of us. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, let's take some time to look together our key passage for today. So it's Acts chapter 1 and verses 4 through to 8. Uh, the words are going to be up on the screen for us. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, if you want a paper copy, I know I say this every week, but if you want a paper copy, uh, then do uh, pick one up just at the back shelf there. Um, and we're going to just take some time to really understand uh, what God's Word says as we think about the power to witness. Uh, so Luke writes uh, these words in Acts 1, uh, starting in verse 4. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise which he said, You have heard me speak about, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. And this is our key verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we are going to focus this morning on this last verse because it really is at the heart of what Luke is trying to communicate here. Such a, a fundamental verse uh, for us as we try and understand what it looks like for us to make uh, disciples. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So there's a, a real promise there. Uh, this is a starting point uh, for the work of the Spirit in the book of Acts. It's really the starting point for the early church. It results in Pentecost. It results in communities and lives completely transformed. And there are so many truths that really jump out from this passage that I want us just to take some time uh, to look at. As I've spent time just studying and reflecting on this one verse, I can see so much from it. It's just incredible how we can study God's Word. And just from one verse or one particular passage, we can learn so much from this. And it applies directly to our own lives and our own situations. Um, so firstly, let me just share that this passage, this verse, uh, leads me to examine my relationship with the Holy Spirit. So this passage leads me to examine my relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I say this because of a deep connection that exists between the first and second parts of verse 8. So the first part, it says, you will receive power. And in the second half of this verse, it says, and you will be my witnesses. The power of the Spirit is inextricably linked to our ability to witness. The power of the Spirit is inextricably linked to our ability to witness. You know, I hope that's deeply challenging for you this morning. Uh, I'm challenged by this greatly um, because so often I can find it difficult. I can find it awkward. I can find it uncomfortable to witness. Don't know if you can share this, but if you can relate to this. But oftentimes, you know, when we try and witness, we're so self-conscious of ourselves and we're just so aware of the fact that we're not getting it right. And we can feel 
inferior, discouraged, lacking faith and hope. It's in those moments that I need to honestly ask myself, why is this? What does that trace back to? If I'm struggling to witness, what is it tracing back to? Am I living in the power of God's Spirit? Because this is a promise. We will receive power and we will witness. If the Spirit of God is real and powerful, then why do we find it difficult to witness to those who don't know Jesus? What does that tell me about my openness to the Spirit? What does that tell you about your openness to God's Spirit in your life? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every time you witness, it's God's Spirit at work in your life. What I want us to see is that our witness always, always has to be birthed by God's Spirit. Anything that doesn't begin first with God and His Spirit is a complete and utter waste of time. We always begin with God's Spirit, our relationship with God's Spirit, and then we go and we serve and we connect with those who don't know Jesus. You know, we can go to the places that non-believers go. Uh, We can come up with all sorts of watertight arguments about Jesus. Uh, We can speak and live and be an accurate picture of Scripture. We can actually be biblical. Um, We can... We can do all these things, but unless these intentions are empowered by the Holy Spirit, then we're going to hit a dead end every single time. So ask yourself a question. What is my relationship with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? Is it one of deep intimacy with God? Or is it one where I just utilise him at different points in my life when I need him? Is Is there a constant relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, in your life? So that's the first observation from this passage. Secondly, this verse gives me a holy longing for more of the Spirit. I've got a holy longing for more of God's Spirit in my life. You know, I've recently spent time creating a playlist on my Apple Music of all my favourite worship songs. And I'm really doing this just so I can spend my devotional time uh, singing. I know it's not really beneficial to Pauline when I sing, but I want to spend time singing to Jesus and worshipping him. And so I've started just to create this list uh, and I was compiling this playlist and I started to find songs that I hadn't heard in a long time. So I'm not talking about classic hymns, I absolutely love hymns, but I'm talking about worship songs from 10, 15 years ago that now today sound actually old compared to what we sing now. But for me, they're just as valuable, they're just as timeless. And the one that stood out for me as I was compiling this playlist was uh, Consuming Fire by Tim Hughes. Um, I don't know if you know this song, but the opening line is, there must be more than this. O breath of God, come breathe within. You know, this opening line, I think I'm always going to remember these words. I'm always going to remember this song, partly because it's quite an unusual opening line for a song. It's very honest. There must be more than this. You know, what's going on here? There must be more than what we see right now. More importantly, I can relate to this. I can connect with those words. It's a question I do ask. God, there must be more than what I see right now. It's a question I ask all the time. When I find myself struggling in sin, God, there must be more than this. When I'm finding it difficult to share Jesus with those who don't know Jesus, God, there must be more than this. When anxieties and worries trouble my heart and mind, God, there must be more than this. And so I'm asking this question, not just in light of my own life, but also what I see around me. As I think of our context, as I think of our nation, this question comes to mind. God, there must be more than this. 
in particular, some of the good things we see, some of the ways in which God is working in other parts of our nation and other parts of our city. Uh, last month down south, I heard about 7,000 young people coming together to worship Jesus down in England. 395 gave their life to Christ. That's incredible. What's happened just last month? 344 recommitted their lives to Jesus. 243 reported healings. So there's evidence here that God is at work. When I hear of this, I start to pray and ask God, there must be more for, for us here. If it's happening down there, let it happen here as well. You might push back in this and say, well, Mark, it's not about the numbers. And in one sense, you're right, it's not about the numbers. But in another sense, you're completely wrong. Because it's not not about the numbers either. That is, we don't actively ignore the figures around what God is doing. Every one of those 395 people can in some way testify to renewed life in Christ. So it's not just in places like England. Um, I was chatting to someone from a church just down the road, Parkhead Nazarene. And they were telling me just last week of how an East End gangster who lives in this area recently came to faith in Christ. And it all started with his dad. His dad came to faith and that led to his entire family coming to faith. It sounds like something from Acts, including this gangster, now ex-gangster, now child of God. So God is working in the East End of Glasgow. And it causes me to say, God, there must be more than this. And this is not pessimism. I'm not saying, can I glass half empty? God, there must be more than this. Why aren't you doing it here? Because I can see, I'm, I'm deeply thankful for what I see within the life of Denison Baptist Church. We went from nine to 40 odd on a Sunday. We've seen commitments. We've seen recommitments to Christ. We've had baptisms. We will have baptisms in a few weeks time, praise God. We're seeking to be a practical blessing to our community in Jesus' name. And in all of this, we're giving him the glory. We're recognising it's nothing to do with us. It's all of him. But my deep appreciation for what God has done doesn't stop asking me the question. There must be more than this. There must be more than this, God. What could God do in the next six months within the life of Denison Baptist Church? What could God do? What God could do could be even more incredible, even more amazing than what we have seen. Way beyond anything we could ever dare to ask or imagine. So the reality is, I've experienced what God has done. But I want more. I want to see more of God's grace. I want to see more evidence of transformation in people's lives. You know, my attitude is a bit like the wee man here. And when it comes to his relationship with strawberries and Greek yogurt, um, I'll give him a single spoonful of this. And straight away, I mean straight away, head forward, arms back, mouth open. He's just expecting more of it. He's tasted and he's got a hunger for more. And in the same way, by the way, I would recommend strawberries and Greek yogurt. It's healthy for you and it's absolutely <laughs> incredible. But in the same way, we should have a, a sort of that kind of attitude when it comes to our relationship with the Spirit. We've tasted what God has done and we want more. We, st we stand there with arms open and we say, God, do our work. Do more of our work. We have seen incredible things, God. We thank you for that. But we want to see even more. We want to see your power at work within the life of Denison Baptist Church so that we have the ability to witness to those who don't know Jesus. Think what God could do in and through us if we really longed for the Spirit. We had a deep desire for God's Spirit. So let me ask you, do you want the Holy Spirit this morning?
Do you want the Holy Spirit? It's a simple question. But often we don't want the Holy Spirit. Often we're quite happy just to go our own way, to do our own thing, to be comfortable. Do you want the Holy Spirit this morning? And do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Do you earnestly desire for more of God's Spirit in your life? And do you want to want the Holy Spirit? You know, we need to ask the desire that's behind the desire. Do you want to want the Holy Spirit? Are you recognising that that's what you should have? You should have more of a desire for God and His Spirit? And are you pursuing that? Are you heading towards, in a sort of Godward direction, towards Him and towards all that He wants to give to you? So, this verse, this passage gives me a longing for God's Spirit. And thirdly, this passage causes me to see the absolute necessity of God's Spirit. So it's more than desire. It's not just something that we desire. There's an absolute need for us to have God's Spirit in our lives. I'd invite you just to do a word search on the word power in your Bibles. And to see how often the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament as well speak of God's power. And how it results in transformation in their lives and in the lives of those they connect with. You know, we know that power is a person. It is God the Holy Spirit. And so how strange it would be for your life story to say something different. You know, these people in the Bible, men and women throughout the history of the church, completely depended upon the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in their life. And they witnessed for Jesus as they relied on God's power. But Mark Morris, or any one of you in 2019, thought we could do it another way. Denison Baptist Church bucked this trend of relying on God and His Spirit and thought we could rely on something other than God's Spirit in their Christian walk and witness. Now imagine that was the case. So we've seen what happens in Scripture. Complete reliance, a complete need for God's Spirit. We've seen it throughout church history. And then imagine Denison Baptist Church decided, well, that happened in the past, but we're going to do our own thing. We're going to rely upon our own strength or circumstances or something else. We're not going to depend upon God's power. Let's be honest, let me be frank, that would be ridiculous and embarrassing. It would be ridiculous and embarrassing for us to do that. To turn our back on God's word and to recognise the absolute necessity of His Spirit. When we talk about the Spirit, we're not talking about a hobby or an added extra. We're not talking about one of many things that are important in our lives. The Holy Spirit is our absolute need. The Holy Spirit is our everything. Through the Holy Spirit, we are transformed. We become new creations. We have a love for Jesus. We are children of God. Through the Holy Spirit, we have a day-to-day dependence upon Him. We have the opportunity every day to live for Him. We become a witness for Jesus Christ. We shine Jesus to a lost world in word and deed. So when we sing later on, there must be more than this. May it be rooted in an absolute desire for God and His Spirit. We long for God's Spirit, but may it also be rooted in a fresh awareness of our absolute need for it. It's a desire and a need. The two go hand in hand. We long for more of God, but we need God with all that we are. It's a place where we say, God, I'd be an absolute wreck without the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. I would be nothing. I would be not able to be the person you call me to be without the work of your Spirit in my life. You only need the Spirit when you recognise and when you are content, when you embrace the fact that you have weaknesses. 
And this is why Paul uh, writes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and verses 7 through to 10. It's one of my favourite passages of scripture. Uh, But Paul says, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh or a weakness was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. It's that word power again. That power is speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is more operational, is complete within our lives when we recognise our weaknesses. Therefore, I will I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'll be honest, like when I when I hear Christians or just when I'm watching sermons, there is very little chat about weakness. I don't hear a lot of pastors talking about their weaknesses. And yet here's Paul, one of the most important figures in the early church, saying, I'm going to boast all the more about my weaknesses. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. John the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. That's just alien to us. We say, I must increase and God will increase. We have it kind of mixed about. But it's, I must decrease and God must increase. May that be true for each one of us. I would encourage you this morning to embrace your weaknesses. Be content in the fact that you are weak in many different areas. And then let God's Spirit take control. Let God lead you and guide you and use you in incredible ways so that he gets all the glory, not yourself. The reality is if we don't want and if we don't need, if we don't have a longing for God and if we don't recognise our absolute need for God, then we will grieve him. We will grieve the Spirit of God. This is something we find in our New Testament. The ability for each one of us to grieve the Holy Spirit. We'll become numb to the things of God. We won't be aware of his presence. And this will remove all ability and all power to effectively witness. Let me share something that John Piper wrote in his memoirs in the late 1980s. Um, He was so aware of a lack of spiritual fruit in his witness that it caused him to ask a deeper, more important question. So the quote's up on the screen for us. So Piper says, The question arose in my mind. Have I resisted the offer of the Spirit's power for witnessing so often that it is now being withheld from me? Has the voice of the Spirit in the past prompted me to write a letter or make a phone call or pay a visit or say a word with the readiness to give me all the power I would need only to find my heart resistant and unbelieving so that now he will not and probably dare not give me the tokens of this power until I am on the brink of some special act of witnessing obedience. So I wonder if you can relate to this quote. Just a life that consistently grieves the Spirit, that chooses to say no to Jesus. The result of which is that we grieve the Spirit and we are insensitive to the ways in which God is speaking to us. And so what are we to do? I can relate to this. I can identify with this quote from John Piper. What are we to do if this is us and we also want and need the Spirit? If we recognise that we 
oftentimes grieve the Spirit, but at the same time we have a longing for the Spirit and we recognise our absolute need for the Spirit. What are we to do? How are we to respond to what God's Word has said to us this morning? Well, let me suggest three ways in which we can cultivate a daily life in the Spirit. And this is basic, this is Christianity 101. But it's just so important that we're reminded of this. It's just so essential for us every single day spending time in these disciplines. You'll be amazed how often we can overlook this. And yet it is absolutely strategic to our Christian lives. Look at these areas with fresh eyes. Look at these areas with a confident excitement of what God could do in your life. That's my encouragement to you. The first one, number one, is the Word of God. Spending time immersing ourselves every single day in the Word of God. You know, we don't spend time not eating food in a single day. So why should we spend time not in God's Word? Not meditating, feeding off, listening to the Word of God. Jesus says these words in John 6 and verse 63. And it will be up on the screen for us. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The word of God is spirit and is life. If the word of God is, as Jesus says, life, when, when we read God's word, we are literally receiving life. We're literally receiving life in our hearts and minds. That's, that's an incredible truth for us. We are embracing the reality of God in our hearts and minds. When we open up the pages of scripture, and listen to what God's word says. We're no longer listening to some other voice. It's the spirit of God that we're attentive to. When we choose to listen and read the word. It completely changes this kind of tick box mentality that we have. You know we can so often think of our quiet time as something we do. I've actually got a long list of things I need to do. And one of them is devotions. And I need to be aware of the fact that I can just see that as something I do for my day. And then go on and do whatever I want to do. But it changes that. If we understand why we do it, it's not just what we do, but why we do it, then that will change everything. We understand that as we read God's word, we are receiving his life for ourselves, And that will enable us to then be life givers to those who don't know Christ. A spirit-filled life is a Bible-filled life. That's at the heart of it. A spirit-filled life is a Bible-filled life. If you believe these words from Jesus... Let me encourage you to drive to the word of God every single day. Don't casually walk towards God's word. Run to it. Run to God's word and embrace what God's word says and live it out. You know, there's so many resources for you as to how you can do that. We live in a time where there's so, so many different ways in which we can receive God's word. And I would encourage you to perhaps use Read Scripture, The Bible Project, uh, Bible study tools, different commentaries, just speak with me at the end of the service. I'd be more than happy to help you in that. But there's so much resource for us as we think about the Word of God. So number one, the Word of God. Number two, prayer. So prayer. Uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, if, then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's just read that again. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
Let me just encourage you this morning. Do not assume the fullness of the Spirit is at work in your life. Don't assume that. The Bible doesn't assume this. In Acts, the power of God is always preceded by prayer. The people pray, they ask that God would step in and do an incredible work. And then, the power of God. God is at work in incredible ways. So who are you and I to do differently? If that happens in Acts, if that's what Paul speaks of, if Jesus testifies to this, then who are we to do differently? It's just arrogance if we choose to do it another way. How ridiculous it would be for us to read this and say, well, thanks for this, but I'm going to follow the ways of my tradition or my own personal preference rather than what the Word says. You know, effective mission, if we're called to be an effective witness, that is birthed by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is more and more alive in our hearts through prayer. So number two, prayer. We need to ask God for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And number three, faith. Faith. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5. We read these words from Paul. So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? So you see how the work of the Spirit here flows into a believing heart and it's believing what you heard. So what is Paul talking about when he says believing what you heard? Well, he's talking about the Word of God. It's about believing God's Word and the difference that God can make through His Word in our lives. The Spirit works powerfully when we choose to believe the Word of God, not just mentally, but with our hands and our feet and our words and our attitudes. The word becomes more than something we know. We live it out with all that we are. You know, a life that doesn't just know the word, but then lives it out. If we choose to, to understand what God's word says, and then we choose to then live it out with all that we are, that's a life on mission. That's what it means to be a witness for Christ, to receive power and then be a witness. Acts 1 verse 8. Let me encourage you to be a person who doesn't just know the word of God, who doesn't just spend time asking for God's spirit, but who also believes what God's word says and lives it out in word and in deed. You know, this message will be an absolute waste of time unless you do something about it, unless you respond in faith. Um, I would invite you to respond immediately to what God is saying to you when it comes to your own life, when it comes to your witness, when it comes to the people in your life who you know don't know Jesus and who need Jesus um, if you have faith in Jesus this morning I would invite you to come to the table and um, if you know the Lord then come to the table and take the bread as you take the bread to break it and to remember Christ's sacrifice for each one of us his body was given to each one of us and as we take that bread to then dip it into the cup and to remember his blood that was shed for each one of us this is a way in which we can remember Christ and we can rejoice in all that he has done for you. So I would invite you to come to the table as we sing together. I would also invite you to come to the back there, just where TJ is standing, there's a cross. Um, there's some post-it notes on the floor and there's some pens. You might just want to respond in some way and it will be completely confidential. We're going to take these post-it notes and put them straight in the bin after the service. But it's just an outward way in which you can express to God what you sense God is saying to you through his word. And it may be relating to this sense of, of conviction about not being a witness. Maybe it's someone you know 
who doesn't know Jesus, you want to put their name down and just outwardly put that name on the cross, sticky side, put the name on the sticky side and put it on the cross, and then ask that God would step in into the life of that person. Or maybe you're just overwhelmed by our circumstance. There's a couple of people, we're going to be standing at the back there. We have a space for you to respond in prayer. If you want to receive prayer in light of what God's word says, and then there's opportunity to do that. I would encourage you not to leave here until you make yourself right with God. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus today, then do respond to him. Repent of your sin, turn away from your sin and turn to him and believe that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So there's opportunity to respond in these different ways. I hope you do so. Let me pray and then we're going to respond and worship through song. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray, Lord, for conviction. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would work mightily and powerfully in our lives and that you would bring about the change that we need, the change that we long for. We pray, Lord, that you would use this time for us to respond in such a way that we sing of who you are, that we can come to this table and remember your sacrifice for us that we can come to this cross and that we can respond in faith and believe that you're going to change our lives and the lives of those who don't know you. So have your way during this time, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.